In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The first reading for the second Sunday of Easter is from Acts chapter 5. Peter and the other apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. You hanged Jesus on a cross and murdered him. But the God of our fathers raised him and took him up to his right hand as leader and savior in order to give the people of Israel repentance and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses of these things. We and the Holy Spirit, whom God has given those who obey him. When they heard this, they became furious and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the court, by the name of Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, highly respected by all the people, got up and ordered the men taken out for a little while. Men of Israel, he said to them, consider what you're going to do with these men. Some time ago, Thutius appeared, claiming to be someone. About 400 men joined him. He was killed and all who followed him were scattered, and they disappeared. After him, at the time of the census, came Judas from Galilee, and got people to follow him in a revolt. He perished too, and all who followed him were scattered. And now I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. If it's only men planning or doing this, it will break down. But if it's God, you won't be able to stop them. You may even be fighting against God. They took his advice. They called the apostles, beat them, ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and let them go. The apostles left the court happy to have been thought worthy to suffer shame for Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and telling the good news that Jesus is the Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our epistle reading is from 1 Peter chapter 1. Let us praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who by raising Jesus from the dead, has in his great mercy given us a new birth so that we have a living hope for an inheritance that isn't destroyed or defiled and never fades away as it is kept for you in heaven. And through faith you are protected by God's power until you come to the salvation that is waiting to be revealed at the end of time. This delights you, although now for a little while you may have had to suffer various trials. Gold is tested by fire, and your faith, when it is tested, should be found to be much more precious than gold, which perishes. This is how you will have praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ appears again. You never saw him, but you love him. You don't see him now, but you believe in him. And a joy, unspeakable and wonderful, fills you with delight as you receive by faith what you're looking for, your salvation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, 
the 21st chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. That Sunday evening, the doors were locked where the disciples were because they were afraid of the Jews. Then Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were delighted to see the Lord. Peace to you, Jesus said to them again. As the Father sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive sins, they are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they're not forgiven. But Thomas, one of the twelve, who was called Twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We saw the Lord! Unless I see the marks of the nails in his hands, he told them, and put my finger in the marks of the nails, and put my hand in his side, I won't believe it. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but Jesus came and stood among them. Peace to you, he said. Then he told Thomas, Put your finger here. Look at my hands. And take your hand and put it in my side. And don't doubt, but believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas answered him. Do you believe because you've seen me? Jesus asked him. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. His disciples saw Jesus do many other miracles that are not written in this book. But these things are written so that you believe Jesus is the Christ, God's Son, and by believing have life in his name. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Our sermon text is from our reading from the book of Acts. Grace and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Whole towns were being upset across the nation by an individual. Where he went, violence happened more than a few times. Now, he considered the work he was doing to be from God, but the authorities and many other religious people disagreed. And it would be hard to not disagree because so many towns ended up in an uproar because of the man and the kinds of things he was saying. He was accused of turning the world upside down and of calling people to disregard the rules of the government. In fact, his reputation was so bad that many of his own people wanted him killed. And several had tried more than once to do just that. The man was known for his lawlessness. Now, certainly, he was well known. But that reputation in so many communities was one of disrepute. He was a pariah. Now I tell you about this man because we heard in Acts 5 today that Peter pointed out that we must follow God rather than men. And that is what this pariah thought he was doing. His disobedience to the authorities and breaking the law was known to many but he claimed that it was God's work. He was obeying God over men. 
So where do we draw the line here? Certainly, God commands us to obey our earthly authorities and to do what they say. But it's also clear that whatever they command against God's word, we are called to resist. And recently, some churches have claimed that this is what they are doing. They have faced consequences, including their names and reputations being ruined in their communities and in news reports. They're accused of spreading the virus by meeting together, even if there's no evidence that that has happened. And even if they take safety precautions against the spread of the virus. Thus, when it comes to government rules and regulations, the first thing is to assess what the request is. Is the request itself against God? Are we being called to break the first commandment? In the first hundred years after Jesus' death, Christians ended up facing a test of loyalty to the government. It was a very simple request. Pledge your allegiance to the government authorities and throw a bit of incense on a fire. All in all, it probably took less than a minute. This act would assure the government officials that you were not an insurrectionist. In fact, if people thought otherwise, they could point to your oath and how you supported the government. This measure assured people that you were committed to the community and its welfare. But Christians were the very ones who refused to go through with this ceremony. They refused to promise their allegiance to the government. And so they were killed. Clearly, these peaceful people were dangerous rebels, for they couldn't do something so simple as acknowledge the government that ruled over them. They were a definite threat to the nation's social order. Peter and the apostles assessed the request by the Sanhedrin as against God's command. They must continue to preach. They owe their allegiance first and foremost to God. They'll try to honor the government and leaders otherwise, but not when it goes against God's word. The second thing then to assess is whether we can accommodate their request rules or laws in a good with a good conscience without compromising what God has called us to do. Can we work around or with the command? Or does faithfulness to God require disobedience to governing authorities? If we can work with it, we try our best to do so, but where we are being prohibited from doing what God has called us to do, we find ourselves in the same situation as the apostles did in Acts 5. Today, then, our Lord prepares us because such a day could come upon us too. Now, clearly, the religious leaders in Acts 5 are worried that the apostles' preaching is going to bring the blood of Jesus upon them. They worry that the apostles might incite the people against them, and they would have some sort of rebellion that would cast them out of leadership. While they ponder to do, while they ponder what to do with the apostles, a respected leader, Gamaliel, 
steps forward, and points out that past movements dispersed soon after the leader was killed. That is to say, this movement will also fall apart if it is from man. In fact, they might run the risk of making it last longer if they give undue attention to it or give cause for rebellion. Better to let it alone and see what happens. Of course, if it is from God, there isn't anything they can do to stop it. And the apostles are claiming that it's from God. They're saying Jesus is, in fact, alive and risen. Now, since such claims can be examined and checked out, it's only a matter of time before the truth comes out. When it came to Jesus' resurrection, no evidence has been presented to the contrary. Rather, as Paul points out, at least 500 people saw the risen Jesus. And St. Matthew records that dead people were brought to life at Jesus' death and were seen by many in the city. And not only that, there's been no consistent alternative explanation or account of Jesus' resurrection. No explanation of what happened to his body that has been convincing. Now, People have put forward multiple explanations of what could have happened, what might have been, but none of them have really been substantive. None of them have produced a convincing proof. St. Matthew even shows how the religious leaders' great opposition to Jesus led them to cover up the evidence of the resurrection by paying off the guards who witnessed an angel breaking open the tomb. These leaders had inadvertently provided evidence for the resurrection by setting a guard in front of the tomb. So the authorities have to face the facts again. Here are uneducated men who are boldly attesting to Jesus' resurrection. They told them to stop once already, but they kept speaking. Is what they say true? How should we handle this? In the end, they released them with a beating and charged them to be quiet and to stop talking about Jesus. Now, a beating would be enough for most people to say, I better stop that behavior. But the apostles actually rejoiced that God had honored them with disgrace, ill repute, and a bad reputation before the community and its leaders. This goes against our normal nature. We want to preserve our good name and reputation. After all, it's a precious gift of God. But the apostles suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus, and they are glad to do so. They rejoice in it and continue their teaching and preaching. They do not stop despite the government commands to do so, nor because of the beating they receive. Clearly, this request was against God and against his word. They weren't necessarily calling for them to worship another God, but they were calling them to stop the activity that God had called them to do. And if we find that we are likewise commanded to stop doing what God has called us to do, then we are to bear the dishonor like the apostles did and suffer the temporal consequences. 
And in such we can even rejoice. We can rejoice because as Peter confessed, God has raised Jesus from the dead and exalted our King and Savior to rule with Him. We can rejoice because Jesus is forgiving our sins and giving us repentance. We can rejoice because God has bestowed on us the Holy Spirit in the waters of baptism. But here, here is where our sinful flesh objects. It does not want to suffer. I know I don't. I don't look forward to such. I don't wake up hoping that I will suffer today. In fact, it's easier to go along to get along. But that is not who we are anymore. We once were of the world. We used to belong in it. But now, on account of Jesus, our lives have changed just as the lives of Peter and the other disciples changed. Here we see once again the difference the resurrection makes. The disciples who scattered in fear before, who denied knowing Jesus, who locked the doors scared of being killed, like Jesus, have realized that Jesus' death and resurrection has freed them from death and the grave. They see that their own sins and failures have been taken away, and that God has granted them life. He has caused them to turn and believe. And so, God has also worked for you. He has taken your sins just as he took the sins of Peter and the other disciples. He has given you life in the middle of this world of death. He's given you hope and restoration in the middle of all the troubles. And not only that, your name is written in his book. Your reputation before his throne has been cleared of all sin. And you have been restored as his perfect child. It is in such confidence that we can live now. For Jesus has risen. He has conquered death. He has overcome evil and sin. And he has brought you the greatest deliverance there ever could be. Out of the clutches of death and sin and into his family and house through the blessed waters of baptism. Because of such, you can stand with Christ. You can be like the apostles, obedient to the authorities, except when what they ask is against God's word. And you can be like that pariah Paul, whose teaching turned the world upside down. Paul's own life attested to Gamaliel's warning. Paul found he was opposing God and his radical change to preach what he had opposed testified to the fact that this was indeed from God. And as such happened, not by Paul's strength or power, 
Neither it is by your strength or power that you stand upon the truth of God's word. You and I stand because Christ Jesus stands before you and me leading us. He marched ahead of us into death and he delivered you life and salvation. We need not look elsewhere. So today we recall those promises in baptism. We rest on his clearly spoken word. You are born anew and recreated. You are a child of God. And neither earthly authorities, nor angels or demons, nor life or death, nor anything in all creation can separate you from God's love on the cross for you. That love that has come to you in baptism and that has brought you to fear, love, and trust in him above all things. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. All readings prior to the sermon come from an American translation of the Bible.